0: Augustine famously said, Novum testamentum in vetere latet, vetus testamentum in novo patet. Anyone? Translation? Good, great job, great job. Let me say it again for the sake of the recording, for those who didn't hear that perfect translation. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So there are a few places where that's more clearly seen than right here, especially as you dig into um, pun intended as you dig into this passage this covenant sign that God gives to Abraham of his promise um, really to save. And so we're going to look at it. It's a bloody strange passage of beauty and meaning and brimming with the promise of salvation and restoration. So What you have here is you have God giving this promise all the way back to Genesis 12. You have God giving a promise to Abram, the man of faith, who trusts in that promise, and he makes major changes in his life. And then we looked a couple weeks ago at the fact that his faith isn't perfect, but he believes God, and God credits that to him as righteousness. And then God, in Genesis 15, he has this bloody ceremony where God alone, by himself, says, I'm going to make good on my promise. You And I'm going, to, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I'm going to bless every family of the, of the, of the earth, on the earth through you. All the blessing of God will pass through you, Abram. Um, and But Abram falters. We looked at that right last week. He falters. And so there's a sense in which you can kind of summarize what's gone on so far up to this point with, Abraham, here's my promise. Abraham believes, but he struggles to believe it. And then God says again, no, really, here's my promise. And Abraham struggles to believe it. He falters. He sins. He trusts in God again, and then he says, "No, really." In this chapter, he says, "No, really." Here's my sign. Here's a sign that I want you to have in your very flesh of the fact that I have given you a promise and I will follow through with it. And that sign is fraught with meaning. Um, so you could think of a wedding ring, and, and one of the reasons that you give a wedding ring, a ring to the one that you want to marry is that you know, in sickness and in health, through thick and thin, till death do us part. This is a promise. Even when you don't feel it, sometimes when you forget, this is a promise that. I am yours, and you are mine, exclusive of all others, till death do us part, right? And when you look at this, it's a way of saying, this is a sign, really, of my promise to you. I mean it. Um, and God's word is perfect. And so he gives Abraham, he changes his name, right, from Abraham to Abraham. He gives him this sign in this chapter here on circumcision. And I think, I mean, um, that word must be, I didn't count it, but it, it's, it's, it just peppers the text. Circumcision, circumcision, over and over and over and again. It's a very fleshy, a very bloody text, and we're going to get into that. Um, So God gives to Abram a sign in his flesh that can never leave him of his commitment to Abram uh, and to keep his promise, that he's going to keep his word. So four points this morning. I know I'm adding one. Uh, We'll see if we get to the fourth, but four points this morning on circumcision, what it is, point two, why we need it, three, how we can get it. Um, Don't worry, the elders are not going to be getting knives out uh, today. What it is, why we need it, how we can get it, and finally, what a difference it makes. So let's jump into just what is circumcision, just very plainly, right? What is circumcision? So first of all, what's a covenant, right? We looked at that a couple weeks ago, but God says he wants to make a covenant with Abram. What's a covenant? Well, O. Palmer Robertson writes a book called, he wrote a book called The Christ of the Covenants. And in it, he puts it, I think, what a covenant, is, a biblical covenant between God and his people really well. Very, very concise. He says a bond, a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. It's administered by God, and it's a bond in blood, okay? Again, think back to Genesis 15. God divided up these animals. He said, I am going to make of you a great people, and Abraham's still kind of like, I'm not sure how. I'm really old. My wife's barren. How's this going to happen? But he believes God. He doesn't know how God's going to do it, but he believes God, and God said, it's a sign that I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to lay these. He goes, you lay these animals open, and I'm going I'm to pass through them. Abraham does nothing. God's the one who passes through the animals, by, and, and he says, I'm going to keep both sides of the covenant. I'm going to keep my promise, and if you break your promise and you're not faithful and your people that come from you aren't faithful, I'm going to keep their end of the bargain too. And you can do to me, I will take my, your curse, the curse that's due to you upon myself, and you can do to me as has been done to these animals. So we looked at that a couple weeks ago. It's an amazing ceremony that points to Christ. This ceremony also points to Christ in a, in a different way. But this one's in Abram's flesh, okay? Um, so why is there another, almost seems like another covenant ceremony here? How is this one different? Well, again, um, John Currid, uh, actually a professor of mine with a great commentary, he says, this is the seal of the covenant God made back in Genesis 15, the one where Abram divides the animals, lays them out, and God's the one in a burning torch and a smoking pot that passes through them. If I break this covenant, or if you and your and your progeny, your, your children that I'm going to give you, Abram, do, I will be the, you can do to me as we've done to these animals. You can lay me open, right? It's the, it's the most intense form of promise you can give it's a bond administered in blood and God takes both sides okay um well this is actually a it's not another covenant it's a sign it's a sign Abram can keep with him actually he can never lose it why because it's on him it's in him it's to him right um of that covenant Uh, and it's years later it's about 14 years after about 14 years later Hebrew narrative is extremely compressed in parts so we've in, in between the end of verse, chapter 16 and, the, and chapter 17, verse 1, 14 years pass. So Abram's about, he's, he's teetering on the edge of 100 years old. Um, so a covenant's a bond in blood, sovereignly administered, and circumcision is a sign of that covenant, okay, uh, that God is making with Abram. So what then is circumcision? Verse 11 here, where God mentions it. It is a cutting off of the foreskin of the penis, okay? My son just went like this, just covered his cake, g- giggles out all right? Um, it's a cutting off of the foreskin of the penis, okay? That's what circumcision is. God, It's not some ethereal, spiritual thing. It's a physical sign in the flesh. Uh, it's, it's, again, fraught with, full of all sorts of spiritual, salvific, bodily meaning. So God chooses this to be the covenant sign and seal of his people. Why? Let's think about it a little bit. Spend some time thinking about this, pressing into it. A knife is taken to the organ. Think about circumcision what it is a knife is taken to the organ producing life the very organ by which abram will the the promise of god to abram to become a great people through him and his wife sarai whose name changed god changes to sarah it's through that very organ that this promise will be will be accomplished will be uh fulfilled and god says yeah take a knife to that now counterintuitive is the word to use here. It's just completely counterintuitive, right? On the face of it, and remember, there has to be a shedding of blood here. On the face of it, this sounds like the very thing Abram should not do to mark himself as the one who trusts in God's word, which is a lot of people are going to come from you, and I'm actually going to give you a son with your wife, Sarah. Um, Many seeds, right, To, to, to bless planet Earth with. But God is saying to do it, so Abram does it. So let's think about again. Let's let's press into this a little more. Let's think about circumcision together, um, and some aspects of it. So first of all, it's a priority of grace to work, and even of grace to faith. Right? It's a priority of grace to work, and even of grace to faith. Um, so. So, circumcision. Let's back up for a second. Circumcision was not just something that, this wasn't a new thing on the planet. It was actually done around the ancient Near East. The Egyptians did it. The Egyptians did it predating this event about 1,800 years before Jesus, 3,800 years ago or so, give or take, uh, by centuries, okay? So this wasn't a totally new practice that no other people did. But it was normally practiced on older males to show like ritual purity for priests to go into temples and stuff like that. Um, this was actually something new. It was to Abram, but it was also to every child, to every male born of the people of God, eight days old. Eight days old. So this highlights, this cuts, this cuts work out of the this this sign that's showing that God is saying, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bring salvation to the earth through you. It cuts. It undercuts work completely, and it really prioritizes grace. An an eight-day-old kid has not done anything to deserve anything, right? Um, Cry, poop, eat. This highlights grace preceding all else. It it prioritizes grace over work and even prioritizes grace preceding faith. Um, Okay, so it prioritizes grace to work and even of grace to faith preceding faith. So also it's – think about this for a second. I'll return to this it's unseen now you see it when you're doing it obviously but the thing that you're doing to your underparts to your genitalia as a man right by god's command as a sign um it's bloody but it's also something that you it's covered up you know hardly anyone ever sees it you can you can look at a circumcised person and an uncircumcised person and you can't tell most people can never tell right it's it's covered it's um it's it's a sign of something that is basically invisible you know, and I'm talking about when people have their clothes on, all right, right, so most of the time, if you're in the locker room or something like that, different story, but um, what does this point to, right, it's bloody, it's unseen, right, it points to, it's covered typically, it points to the need for a new heart, and we're, that's that's really the, the heart of what I think God's getting at, we're going to get to that, it points to a need for a new heart, when you have a new heart, it's, if there are two people here and one of you has, and there would be, this would be the case, we will have someone here who's New a new creation in Christ. They have a new heart because they've trusted in the one who's been bloodied and cast off for them, Jesus Christ. There's another person here who has an old heart. You're not regenerate. You don't know Jesus. You have an old heart. We right now looking at you two, we can't tell the difference. It's it's invisible, it's unseen, but it's real. This is one of the things circumcision points to. Um thirdly, it points to the need for casting off of the sinful self. It points to the need for condemnation. There has to be blood and there has to be a casting away. Um, of, of something that produces life, something at the core of who you are. Yeah, that, that it's, it's not good enough just to come as you are. That has, there's a symbol at the core of, of who you are as a people of God that there needs to be death, there needs to be blood if you're to go, continue going go on living, and that thing has to be cast aside. Really, there's a sense in which the core of you has to be cast aside, but it's done in a way that allows you to keep going, to keep living, right? Also, one of the things that circumcision in this passage showcases, if you dig into the text, it's available for anyone. So the Jews began to – we'll get to this much more later. They began to look at this as a show, a sign of the – they took ethnic pride in it. Hey, I'm a Jew, and I'm a Jew because I'm circumcised. Well, actually, the way that God first presents circumcision here as a sign of the covenant people of God is it's actually the opposite of that. It's available for anyone. It doesn't showcase ethnicity at all because for Abraham's seed, it's all, it is for Abraham's seed, the people that come from him, his children and his children's children, but also it's for those what? It's also for those born in his house that are not of his seed. And it's also for foreigners born, bought with his money. It's the mark of the covenant people with God that actually has nothing to do with ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So also, this is a sign. Um, in this sign, God changed. He says, your name will go from Abram to Abraham. Right. So not just the father of one nation, but at the heart of this sign, not just of the Jewish people, but of Israel, the people of God right? That gets to the core of who you are. It has, the core of who you are has to change. There has to be death so life can come. We'll get into that. Um, he changes Abram's name here and says, you're not just going to be the people of, you're not going to be the father of one nation. You're going to be father of a multitude of nations. Circumcision points to that so much so that he changes his name at this point to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a covenant God, and that means you're going to bless not just one ethnic people. You're going to be a blessing to every ethnic people. And that's here at the heart of circumcision. Also, fifthly, um, it's a mandatory sign, right, to be God's child. You can't, in the, under the old, Abram had to have it. You, know, you if you were not circumcised, you were cut off from God's people. So Abram had to have it. It wasn't enough that he was Abram. It wasn't enough that, that he was a certain ethnicity. It wasn't enough that you were just born from him. You had, to, you had to have something drastic and bloody and unseen, as it were, happen that was a way of saying death. Death has to come to, to you without you dying, right? Life has to come from death, essentially, and we'll get into that, too. So Abram had to have it. Moses and his boys had to have it. There's this grisly, strange, mysterious, enigmatic scene in Exodus 4, we won't get into much, but where God has called Moses to go back to Egypt and to lead God's people out of slavery 400 years after this in Exodus chapter 4. He's called Moses, you're my guy. And Moses is from the, from the Levitical priesthood. And he's going with his sons back to Egypt, and God actually sends his angel to kill, it looks like in the text, maybe Moses and certainly his sons because they have not been circumcised. So it's not enough for you to be Moses' kid. It's not enough for you to be Moses from the tribe of Levi, even to be called. You have to have the mark on you, uh, this mark of, of blood has to be shed in your place so you can go on living. It's not enough to be born as you are. It's not enough to be of a certain race. Um, in other words, as I said, either a sign on them that something had to be cast out in place of them, or they had to be cast out. That is the sign at the heart of what it means to be a, a people of God. This was the mark of God's people. It's a deeply humbling mark. It's the opposite of pride-inducing, and yet somehow it became something that, and we'll talk about what's the equivalent of that for us. It became something they took pride in, right? Um, but it's not just an ethnic leveler; it's a social leveler. Um, Okay, so but like I said, you could be born from Abram, you had to be circumcised. Born in his house, circumcised. A foreigner bought by him, you had to be circumcised, right? Um, Abram, Moses, every Israelite all had to have it, no distinction. So it levels, you know, you could be a servant in the house, you could be Moses or Abram, it doesn't matter, you all have to be circumcised. There's no exceptions. There's no exceptions. So it's a social leveler, it's an ethnic leveler, and like I've been saying, at base, It's a sign that says, to be my people, life has to come out of death. Because when you take a knife in a bloody way to the thing that produces life, there's no really better way to say that. There is a new covenant way, and what's that new covenant way of saying that? And we'll get to that, baptism. Being held under the water is a sign of death, but from that comes life. It's the mark of God's people. It doesn't save us, but we have to be marked by that. So life must come from death. It's a way of saying... um, uh, there's no life, God saying to His people. There's no life with Me without death, without blood. Right? Life must pass through the blood. Okay. So. Let me just underscore this, and then let's move to point two, why we need it. We've talked about what it is extensively, at least somewhat extensively. So during, move, move forward five, 400 years from this. During the first Passover, when Moses is about to lead the people out of Egypt, during the first Passover, 10th plague, final plague in Egypt, uh, if you were, so the plague, and what's the plague? The angel of death passes over, and what happens? Yeah, if you're, he's going to, the angel of death is going to indiscriminately, as it were, Kill every firstborn in every household, except for what's the way out? What's the way you can be covered? What's Blood over, right, blood, blood again. Blood over the doorpost of the house that you're hiding in, eating, consuming the lamb that's dying in your place, right? So during this first Passover, 400 years from from this point, from from Genesis 17, the 10th and final plague in Egypt, if you were an Israelite but not hiding under the blood, what would happen to you? You'd die. Dead as a doorknob, okay, as, as the firstborn, right? You die, period. Blood of an innocent, and the firstborn is a way of saying, is, firstborn represents every, everyone. The first one to come out, right, represents just ev- everyone has a price on their head. Blood is the only way out, right? The blood of this innocent lamb. So if you're an Israelite and you were not hiding under the blood, you die. As the angel of death comes over. Blood of an innocent lamb had to be shed in your place for you to live and not die. If you're an Egyptian or from any other nation, and believing God's word, you made it to a home, had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and you hid in that house you would not die it's not about ethnicity it's about the word of God and it's about the blood and it's about believing in the word of God that says you must hide under the blood you see you would be saved it wasn't the ethnicity that saved you it was it wasn't the blood in you it was trust in and obedience to God's word it was the blood of the lamb over you and the lamb in you as you consumed him by faith he who died in your place right so God's giving us these signs, and he gives this sign, this covenant sign to Abram here in Genesis 17. So point two, that's what it is, why we need it, point two. So the Jews began to see circumcision, like I've said, as something to be proud of centuries later. Proud of rather than humbled by. An ethnic badge of distinction rather than a mark that showed that ethnicity has nothing to do with salvation. And you could go to Romans 2, 25 and 29, where Paul lays this out. Paul lays this out very clearly. Um Robertson writes this. He write O. Palmer Robertson writes this. He says, circumcision indicated the need for cleansing. Okay, why we need it, point two. Circumcision indicated the need for cleansing. The hygienic act of the removal of the foreskin symbolized the purification necessary for the establishment of a covenant relation between a holy God and an unholy unholy people. It was a way of saying, it's not, like I've been saying, it's not good enough for you to be just born of Abram. You have to be cleansed at the root level. We all do. Every single one of us needs an utter, and perfect cleansing to be God's people. Also, he goes on, the application of circumcision to the first father of the family line of promise, Abram, right? Indicated that the physical descent alone was not sufficient to make true Israelites. The uncleanness, what did the Pharisees say in Jesus' day? We're, we're, we're children of Abraham. And then they would go on to be, hey, we're, we're circumcised. Maybe be proud of that. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is the sign? God's always giving signs to point to a deeper reality. What does the sign point to? Right? Physical descent not alone, not sufficient to make true Israelites. The uncleanness and disqualification of nature had to be taken away. Right? Also, the cutting away of a natural part of the human body as a symbol of religious cleansing suggests the necessity of the execution of judgment as an act essential for purification. At the core of who we are, we must be judged. But if we're judged as we deserve, we die. So God contrived in his perfect word in space and time to give his people signs So that they could see that actually judgment need to be meted out on them without them dying. Somehow their lives were forfeit, but he let them go on living. So something has to die in your place. In this case, it's it's something on your very body from which life comes. How ingenious. How absolutely ingenious. Um, And fourthly, this understanding of the theological significance of circumcision stands in blanket contrast, to go back to what we've been saying, with subsequent Jewish misappropriation of the right. Circumcision should have humbled the people of God, uh, excuse me, the people of Israel, people of God, by pointing their innate unworthiness, uh, pointing to their innate unworthiness to be God's people. Instead, the sign was misunderstood, Robertson says, as indicating that they were especially meritorious before God, the exact opposite of what it's supposed to show. That which should have been for them a source of humility became to them a source of pride. And again, if I can cut to sort of the end, and I'll mention this again, but it's be, be the same for us today wherever ethnically we come from, irrelevant, the mark of Christ on us, the mark of a child of God being, it's not what saves you, but the mark of a deep reality that saves you being baptism, if we start taking pride in that, and we certainly, there is lots of pride, unfortunately, among Christians or people who think they're Christians in baptism. What, that's, if you think about what it symbolizes, it's insane. Like y'all said earlier, because baptism literally says, you have to die. Yeah, the first time isn't good enough. There needs to be a new life a new life death is what you is what i require because of the way that you have lived and because of your first birth and that's a sign over us that says that so to take pride in the fact that like man i god says i have to die i'm not good enough like wait it's 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 an oxymoron right it's an oxymoron so at the core of who we are we fail to measure up to god's standard we deserve to be cut off we deserve to be cast off that's at the heart of this um of this rite of circumcision this covenant sign um, so we have a hunger to be in what C.S. Lewis refers to as the inner ring, right? the inner ring, to be brought in. Um, we, at the core of so much, probably everything that we do, we desire to be included in, um, in, inside the who's who, inside the, the inner ring uh, of whatever we're trying to get into. It could, be, it could be some sort of sports association. It could be, it could be a scholastic thing. It could be in, in, our, in our job, a certain committee a friend group, um, to be included in that, to be included in that inner ring. And then what C.S. Lewis goes on to say is because of our sin, it's like we'll do anything to get there, and then once we're there, we'll do anything to keep others out. Because of this gnawing, deep, voracious hunger we have in us to be on the inside, included. We want, it's, it comes from something that we're created for, but our flesh turns it into something nasty. And C.S. Lewis calls it the inner ring. And he says that most of life is actually us just either trying to get into it, and then once we're into it, keep others out. Right? And I'll return to this. So also, I want to touch on our perennial manic desire to cover over our deep soul wounds and the insufficient insufficiency that we're aware of but refuse to admit in ourselves. Uh, we, we even refuse to admit it to ourselves. We push it down. We, we, we refuse to admit it to other people. It's too it's too much of a wound that we know that we don't measure up to the one that we were made for, even if we denied the existence of that very one. We know. We know. Um, and so there's this gaping wound. It's like, what can be done? I want to be included. I want to be accepted. But as I am, I cannot be. I can't measure up. So we work hard to convince ourselves and others that we aren't as broken, right, and as sinful as we truly are. And we, so we, our lives become like this posturing. Um, an artifice. So here are some ways we do that, right? We could think of a thousand, but just through good behavior, through moral decency, uh, being upstanding, um, through resumes, through, uh, through acquisition of stuff, through, through trying to build our resumes and having an impressive uh, rap sheet, right? Uh, the, maybe the right job, making enough money. Maybe I went to the right schools, the family I came from, the people I know, the friends I have. It could even be going to church. Again, I- irony, but going to church because being in a church, like the message is Man, the message should be like, "I'm a sinner." Jesus, <laughs> Jesus came for me. But so to be proud about that is oxymoronic. But um, our flesh is constantly seeking to paper over this gaping wound and to 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 scrap into to get into this inner ring that we can never get into on our own steam. Right? Um, being a good Christian, being a good Muslim, okay, whatever it is, um, ticking the box, doing these things. I think Muslim, what has five pillars? Doing all the pillars, okay, whatever. Uh, loving others even, being kind and thoughtful, promising we'll do better, being a chief repenter, being the best at repenting. We can even take pride in that, right? How many tears I'm crying, God? We look to entertainment. Let me wrap this part. Addictions, relationships, porn it may be, hobbies, sports. Some of this stuff's bad. Some of this stuff's good, right? Working out, buying stuff, and a thousand other things to paper over the hole in our hearts. But God sees through it. He sees straight down to our hearts, to the core of who we are, and none of this makes us right before him. And none of this brings us into the heart of who he is. He sees it all down to the deepest places of our heart and mind. And he's holy and he's separate from sinners and he's completely pure. And he's just. And again, he's all seeing. So what, what options are left us? We must be cut off. And this is not in and of itself, this is not good news. But what if, friends, stay with me. What if the sign of God's people could be placed on them which could point to their needing to be cut off without their actually being cut off, but rather being brought in. My friends, this is what God instituted in this covenant sign of circumcision. So, so um, okay, what it is, what it means, can you remember what my point two was, what, what it means, why we need it, right? As I said, we're not going to bring out our knives. Third point, how we can get it, right? Elders are not not coming up here with a knife. Um, How we can get it? How can we get it, right? How can we get it? Verse 1 of 17, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. Now, the question is, how could Abram do that? How can we do that? Who can do this? Certainly not Abram. I mean, look at the chapter that directly precedes this verse. Chapter 17, 1, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. What has just preceded this? He sat his son with another woman. He passively listened to uh, Sarai, who was trying her very best in her wounding and anger toward God to just make God's promise come true. And disaster came about. God chose to bless that anyway. But he's saying, that's not how salvation is going to come about. It's going to come about through my own effort, through my effort alone, through my promise, through my word. You must trust me, Abram. You must trust me. Right. So Abram, I mean, the whole chapter before that shows in brightest colors. In the Chronicle, in the history of God's people, the utter honesty about how badly Abram sinned and screwed up. Thank God we have that because we know, hey, we're in a good company, right? God doesn't call us to perfection. But he does say, walk before me and be blameless. Okay? Um, Abram can't keep this command to walk blamelessly before God, and neither can you and neither can I. But one can and one has. Abram and his descendants have to keep this covenant, unlike the Genesis 15 covenant, which is unilateral, one-sided by God alone. However, this covenant which they must keep is a mark of something only God can do, right? As we've been kind of pushing toward, it's a mark of the fact that we need a new, something that's unseen, that's at the core of who we are, that in fact would be a bloody affair. We need a. New, it's a very bloody affair. We need new hearts. In the Hebrew worldview, in the Hebrew construct, in the Hebrew Bible, the heart wasn't just the place of emotions. It wasn't even the fleshly thing that keeps you. It was... It was to my body, it was to your soul what the heart is to your body. It's the core of you, and it's where every bit of you ties together. Your mind, your, your, your cognition, your emotions, your physicality, your spirit, okay? We need a new operating system. The first time wasn't good enough. That's one of the things circumcision suggests strongly, and it's one of the things that baptism absolutely says. We need to be, like Jesus told Nicodemus on the rooftop in John 3, you must be born a second time first time is utterly offensive you must be born a second time but how is that done right um only god can give us a new heart i can i can build a resume i can get into certain clubs i can do i can try to behave and look decent on the outside i can't give myself a new heart a new core a new os the circumcised skin is a sign of a deeper reality every child of god must have right must be marked by if you don't have this mark you're cast out why because God loves to see the cut. No, it's because it's a deeper, it's a sign of something deeper that every true child of God, whatever your ethnicity has to have, has to be marked by a circumcised heart, a cut heart, a heart of flesh. The prophets foretell this, right? Years later, years after this event, this day is coming where, where the, co- um, when the reality this covenant points to will come about, God will do it. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 are two places where the prophets say a day is coming this God, is God speaking through his prophets. A day is coming when I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The circumcision of the penis was always a sign. It was always a sign of a deeper reality. We need a circumcised heart, right? Because circumcision is symbolic, pointing to death but not death itself, Abram is allowed to live, right? He's allowed to live having this sign on him, and, and it's applied to every Every male born of him, eight days old, you know, for, for generations to come, in perpetuity. Eight days old and on, and on, not through any work they've done, but grace preceding faith. This mark of God is set on them that something, there must be death for life to come to you. Something going to have to die in your place. Um, and every foreigner born in his house with his money, and and every, and every and again, every again, or outside of his house, and everyone born in his house too, right? Um, so Abram is allowed to live, even though this sign of death and of life through death is put into his flesh, but not Jesus. Right? A sign of death is carved—a spear in his skin, spike holes in the wrists, in his ankles, a spear in his side—and he actually died. Jesus's death is why Abraham and all of his progeny, by faith, believing in the God that Abraham believed in, that He will keep His promise and what is god's promise what is god's word but jesus himself right abram can perform this ritual this covenant ritual and not die christ's death is also why we can perform our covenant ritual baptism the new covenant equivalent of the old covenant circumcision and not die right we can be held underwater and symbolically die without physically dying but we do really die to the power of sin and death when we trust in jesus christ we are united to his death to all of our sin, um, to, uh, to death itself, to Satan and to hell. All that all, all um, that slavery, right? We die to that through the real death of Christ. Okay, not physically, but spiritually, and we're united to Christ through faith in his death. Um, Robertson points out that Jesus received his name when he was circumcised at eight days old in accord with God's good law. Jesus' name, does anyone know what the name Jesus means? Yeshua? it means god saves his name was given there officially and circumcision was a sign in jesus flesh of how he would save he would be cut off from god truly abram and his progeny would have the foreskin cut off and cast away and bloodied it was a picture of the one who would come and actually be abandoned truly abandoned by his father so we could be not abandoned as we deserve but brought in he took our place he took our place right um So he was bloodied and cast off with the sins of all the elect on him and in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He was cast off, and he did for us in space and time what he'd been doing, okay? So stay with me, and then I'll I'll work to a close. I'm just going to probably skip the fourth point, which is fine, Um, what difference it makes for us. But he did for us in space and time what he'd been doing for all eternity, right? Jesus stepped into, in the fullness of time 2,000 years ago, he stepped into space and time, and he did for us, what he'd been doing for eternity, which is he had been giving himself to another in love for, from, et- from eternity past. He had been receiving the love of the Father and, and, and reveling in that love, enjoying that love, abiding in that love. His identity is in that love. I am the beloved. I am the son of the Father. And giving that love back to, looking outward. The Trinity is an outward facing one God, uncreated being, the author of all that is without being the author of sin, right? And he is a God who's always looking out of himself in love, loving his father, uh, the father loving his son, the son receiving that love and loving his father back, and the Holy Spirit being the effusion of that love. So at the perfect time 2,000 years ago, God stepped into what C.S. Lewis called the wild weather of his outlying provinces to do for us what he'd been doing for eternity past, to give himself, to come after us, and to be cast off. To bring us in right jesus had always been in the ultimate inner ring the ultimate inner ring is indeed the trinity it's 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 the it's the inner ring of inner rings it's always existed and we can't find meaning or life without being brought into that life the very life of god and there's nothing we can do there's no resume we can build there's no amount of penance there's no club we can belong to to get into that inner ring that means life itself so jesus came while remaining God and stepped out of the privileges of the Godhead and took upon himself our curse to bring us in to the very heart of the Father, to bring us into that inner ring, right? Um, he made us to enjoy the rich fellowship of the Trinity along with all creation, but we cut ourselves off from it through our forefathers and foremother Adam and Eve. So in the fullness of time, he stepped into space and time. And on the cross, he chose to be cast out of this fellowship, abandoned by his father, and spiked to that tree so we could be brought back into the inner ring where alone lasting happiness is found. The fellowship of father, son, and spirit. So on the cross, the firstborn son, the lamb of God, died. So all who hide under his blood by faith will live. So ethnicity is not going to save us. Good works will not save us. Church won't save you. Godly parents will not save you. Only one thing will save you, hiding under the blood of the Lamb of God. Only then will you get passed over by the angel of death, by the white-hot wrath of Almighty God, trusting in the one who came to give himself for us and to bring us into the fellowship of God, taking our curse and giving us the very blessing and the love of God and God himself. So, In Romans 4, Paul makes the point that Abram was credited with God's righteousness, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, through faith, years before he was circumcised. Circumcision didn't save him. It was a mark. It was a mark of his faith in the God who saves. That's Romans 4, 9 through 12. So like baptism, circumcision does not save us, but marks how God saves you. It's thus a sign of God's salvation, which like baptism was applied once to a person. The Lord's Supper we take over and over again, just like the Passover meal. Um, there's more here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap I'm gonna close. Let me just say this. I'm gonna close with a little story from a guy named Walker Percy. I think I've mentioned him before. Um, he wrote a bunch of books. He was a medical doctor until about age 40, halfway through his life, and then he started writing. And um, he wrote a book called Lost in the Cosmos. It's a funny book, but it's a grave book at the same time. You know, it talks about really important issues, but it's, his humor is great. Um, in in chapter or question 11. Percy asks – basically, he sets up this scenario where um, he says, what would it be like if we lived life keenly aware of the fact (coughs) – excuse me – keenly aware of the fact that the alternative um, – that the alternative to the life that we're living is suicide, right? So I'm living, but the alternative to this is – I could kill myself, right? Um, An alternative, though, that we're refusing every day, right? And so he basically – Um, talks about he talks about boredom but then he sets up these two categories based on that where he talks about non-suicide and then ex-suicide and the non-suicide is just simply living life as it comes day to day kind of trudging through life like well just taking life for granted the ex-suicide is the one who realizes that like every day my alternative could be I'm dead but not only has God made me he's given his life for me he's redeemed me so every day is a gift and I don't have to do anything. He's done everything to give it to me. It's a complete and utter gift. And so rather than, seeing, rather than seeing life as a non-suicide, like, you know, yeah, well, it's just I'm just going on living. I'm existing. Life's not a gift. It's just something to get through. It's man. It's man. My alternative is I could be dead or I could have taken my life. But I've been given life. I've been created. And I've been redeemed at the highest, at the highest price. And so he says this, he finishes the chapter this way. The difference between a non-suicide and an ex-suicide, leaving the house for work at 8 o'clock on an ordinary morning. The non-suicide is a little traveling suck of care. That might be you. might be me someday. Sucking care with him from the past and being sucked t- toward care in the future. You're just like this ball of anxiety. Everything's up to you. Life's not a gift. It's just something I have to get through, Right? The suck of care. Sucking care with him from the past and being sucked toward care in the future. His breath is high in his chest. He's like a shallow breathing person. The ex-suicide, however, by contrast, opens his front door, sits down on his steps, and he laughs. Since he has the option of being dead, he has nothing to lose by being alive. It's good to be alive. He goes to work because he doesn't have to. And there, what a great picture of how we have been redeemed and all of life is a gift. Everything that Everything, no matter whether we're here, we're going to Afghanistan, right? Whatever, whatever meets us, whatever course God has for us, whatever is in my past, whatever's coming my way, like God is taking care of all the big questions, right? He's, he hung on the cross for my sins, right? It wasn't dependent on what I've done. He's given himself to me fully. He's called me just to trust him and to follow him. Um, life is a gift. And so everything is, man, I could be dead but God has chosen to give himself for me. I'm alive. What a gift it is. And I, I mentioned that bit about laughing because it frees us up to be a people of laughter. And that's kind of what we see that I didn't have time to finish with. But the name of the son that God gives through, not through their own deserts, not through their own power or strength, to Abraham and, and Sarah, to Abraham and Sarah with their names changed, is, is Isaac, which means laughter. And so there's a sense in which at the heart of what God has done for us, we ought to be a people, no matter what we're going through, and I'm not saying who don't don't mourn, who don't cry. We should. But a people where there's a deep joy and resonant laughter at what is to come because of what God has done for us, because of the surprise and the sheer grace of it all. Right. Um, and so let me let me close. Lord, I just thank you so much for <clears throat> this <clears throat> strange, wonderful passage about circumcision. um that tells us so much about jesus about how there has to be death at, for life to come at the core of who we are and that takes us to christ who died in our place there has to be blood and rather than it being our blood which would kill us it was the blood of jesus christ And so i pray that we would cast ourselves as abram did looking ahead Looking back, we would cast ourselves on Christ who died for us, who laid his life down for us, and who offers to bring us into the ultimate inner ring, the fellowship of who you are. And that would really sink down more deeply even today in our hearts and minds and bodies and spirits so that we would not be traveling, we would not be walking sucks of care with our breath, with our breath high in our chest, but rather we would sit down, we would walk, we would play, we would work laughing, knowing that we don't have to strive for identi- an identity. You've given us a new name. And the name over us is beloved. And the name over us is Jesus. We are children, your children, through your child and your son, Jesus Christ, if indeed we come to him. So I pray that, in, that we would, if we haven't today, that we would indeed believe on Christ who gave himself for us. That we would ask questions. That we would, we would engage your text. That we would live in this community and, and really seek to know what you have done for us in Jesus. And then just to live as glad children. Um, of that in this world again whether here whether are halfway around the world wherever you have placed us wherever you have called us to be you've called us to yourself so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus